What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Robert M. Price, the Bible geek. Uh, let's see, it's uh, just a couple of days after Christmas, and I hope you had a merry one. I sure as heck did. It's always loads of fun. Uh, yes, I'm not a theist. Uh, I'm only dubiously a, a Christian in a remote sense, uh, but I love Christmas. And uh, maybe Ebenezer Scrooge is the most important character I associate with it, but who knows? Uh, anyway, um, the word geek denotes an obsessed hobbyist, and I am happy to accept that definition. In fact, the Bible's not the only thing I'm a geek about. Anyway, I find the Bible absurd. Absorbingly fascinating. I do not regard it as an authoritative or inspired revelation from God. I used to, but ironically, it was the avid study of the Bible that led me to give up my religious devotion to it. I had to decide between my desire to understand the Bible and the religious faith that created my interest in it to begin with. So now I love the Bible as the classicist loves the Iliad and the Odyssey. In my view, there's nothing more pious than trying to understand the text for its own sake. Whether you're a believer or a skeptic, I'm inviting you to join me as we try to make sense of a sometimes puzzling book. In fact, I'm not all that sure it would be as fascinating as it is if it weren't so puzzling. But anyway, uh, this is uh, from uh, oh, what's his, uh, Joseph uh, in the UK, I gather. He says, I studied under the late James Dunn at Durham, UK, from 1996 to 1999. Lucky stiff, I must interject. I... I uh, uh, love a lot of uh, Dunn's work and was uh, privileged to, to simply meet him once at a conference. I, uh, I envy you, your experience with him. Okay. Um, the then head of the department made us all buy his book, The Theology of Paul the Apostle, which, whilst informative, is suffused with Christian apologetics rather than anything critical. I know you think that the criterion of embarrassment is not a valid argument for the historicity of Jesus, since what is embarrassing for one generation or group of Christians was not the same for another. However, the following points are startling pieces of evidence where the gospel writers are embarrassed enough to revise the story or only reluctantly accept it. And we're going to go through a bunch of these. 
Ah, okay. Number one, Jesus' place of birth, implied as being in Nazareth in Mark, but changed to Davidic slash Judean Bethlehem in Matthew and Luke. Uh, I believe um, uh, Christopher Hitchens thought that this was really the deciding factor in whether or not there was a historical Jesus, and much the same thinking, I believe you're, you're uh, displaying here, that um, uh, who would uh, who, uh, who would uh, make up such a thing, I'm not quite sure what his reasoning was now, but he didn't seem to grasp that uh, the thing is, it looks like, uh, go, going all the way back to D.F. Strauss, maybe earlier, I forget if Ryan Morris deals with this or not, uh, it appears that Matthew and Luke are independently trying to uh, explain the seeming contradiction, uh, which is not a big one, I, I must admit, uh, between Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Nazarene, as it says in almost all the occurrences in the Gospels, on the one hand, and then born in Bethlehem on the other. Uh, why would he not be called Jesus of Bethlehem if he was born there? Well, really, there's no big deal, and and people have suggested, apologists have suggested quite reasonably that if he was born in Bethlehem, but shortly his family relocated to Nazareth for whatever reason, you know, to be close to sick relatives that take a job there, I mean, nothing big necessarily, Uh, Matthew says an angel told him to... uh, change the address, but it could have been anything, right? And and so uh, as an adult, he was known to everybody as, oh yeah, Jesus from Nazareth. I, I don't see any problem with that, actually. Uh, but I, I will say that there's a big problem in the way Matthew and Luke each explains it, right? Because uh, in uh, Matthew's gospel, Mary and Joseph live in Bethlehem, and Jesus is born in their home. And they only leave town because of the announcement that Herod the Great is uh, has been apprised of the birth of a so-called messianic heir. <clears throat> and he says, well, this is going to be trouble if I don't nip it in the bud. And so he sends his goon squad to kill all the babies in the area. Uh, that ought to take care of it. I mean, this sounds very much like Oedipus and other stories where the king is uh, told that there's a prophecy he's going to be dethroned and he better do something about it and he tries to but then he winds up bringing about the very fate he would fear and anyway um so they leave and go to egypt for a while uh then um they're told by an angel once they're there okay uh herod the great is dead the coast is clear you can go back home now uh, and they're getting ready to go to Bethlehem when the angel appears again and says, whoops, I guess I uh, was a little hasty there. Uh, it turns out that Herod the Great's son, Archelaus, is now in charge, and he's as much of a monster as his father was. Uh, we're, we're not sure why Archelaus wouldn't simply have assumed that that Jesus or you know whoever the messianic child was had successfully been eliminated, right? How did he know? Was he reading the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, but nonetheless, the story says you you better go elsewhere. Why don't you go up country to um, to Galilee to Nazareth? Yeah, uh, they'll never think to look for you there. 
probably because uh, that wasn't supposed to be the birthplace of the the Messiah, right? And uh, it's taken for granted that this Old Testament passage, uh, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be counted among the cities of uh, of, uh, Israel. Uh, Nonetheless, from you will come forth for me um, one... uh, from ancient times and, and so on and so on. The government shall be upon his shoulders, etc. cetera. Uh, well, this was often interpreted as meaning that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, though in fact it, it probably doesn't mean that so specifically. It probably is simply a way of saying, yeah, he will be an heir of David. It's like saying he's the root of Jesse, David's father. It's it's just a you know a, a fancy way of saying that yes, he's got the proper genealogical uh, credentials. He's uh, he's Davidic, right? Uh, but uh, okay, so that's why in Matthew's view. Uh, it's Jesus is uh, a child born in Bethlehem, yet is known as an adult as Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, well, that kind of makes sense. There's problems with the story. But then Luke is very different, right? Because in his account, Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth. And the, the reason they relocate uh, is uh, because they they have to report to Bethlehem for a taxation census. This can't be right, <clears throat> because it says that uh, uh, he had to go to Bethlehem, the city of David, because Joseph himself was from the line of David, and uh, and and he had to register where his remote ancestors had lived a millennium before. No, no taxation census is conducted. You know, why do they take the census to know where to find people whose uh, income they can collect taxes on? Right. Uh, they would want to know where 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 to go to, to uh, collect the money from Joseph, where he currently lives. Right. That's not what they do. So it's just, you know, an impossibility. But the uh, the census is the occasion for Jesus uh, to uh, be born while his parents are there uh, in Bethlehem. But then afterward, they go back home to Nazareth. Well, that's an alternate way of connecting the two dots. It just didn't, one guy's solution to the puzzle didn't occur to the other and vice versa. Uh, so the, the narratives both have internal difficulties, but even if you bracket those, you cannot harmonize them. And uh, Strauss already showed that very clearly in his great book, The Life of Jesus, Critically Examined. Uh, so it, is this, uh, you know, what's going on here? Actually, the the difference impl- uh, would fit very well with a mythical Jesus, a fictional Jesus, uh, because if you, you can't keep the story straight, how tough would it have been to keep straight where, you know, George Washington was born, Julius Caesar was born, etc. The fact that there are these widely differing uh, accounts implies nobody really knew. Uh, and uh, so it that works well for, for mythicism. 
though, as, as I admit, you know, even if these two explanations are bogus, the notion of someone born in Bethlehem but being more famously associated with Nazareth, that in itself is no problem. I'm not so sure why these guys lost sleep over it, but that one really is a wash. Uh, it really doesn't help much um, for, for mythicism or historicism. Okay, two, uh, the revision of the baptizing of Jesus by John in Mark and Luke to make the subservience of the Baptist clear in Matthew and John. Uh, well, the, the difference there, of course, is that in, uh, in really, and I, I would pose it a little differently, Matthew and John both have John the Baptist recognize Jesus right uh, off the bat as soon as he shows up, right? Whereas uh, Mark and Luke don't give any hint, hint that uh, John ever uh, came to believe Jesus was the Messiah. Of course, they don't say he didn't, but the point is, like, there's even a story, as you know, uh, where uh, John in prison hears about the deeds of Jesus and hope is kindled in him. And he sends a couple of disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one I've been talking about, the coming one? Because it would sure be good for him if it were true, right? He's he's languishing there in his uh, rat-infested jail cell with no toilet facilities, uh, no cable TV to watch. Uh, and uh, so, you know, if the Messiah has come, oh boy, I- I'm packing my bag. Soon I'll be free. And says, go ask him. And they do. And Jesus gives a kind of an equivocal answer. Uh, and what did John think? Doesn't say. Because the point of the story is to point right at the reader and say, well, what do you make of Jesus? Do you think he was the coming one or not? Uh, so, um, so the real problem is, did John already know Jesus? And by extension, did he publicly acclaim Jesus as the Messiah at his baptism? Uh, and in, in John and Matthew, he does, though they don't quite agree either. Um, John, no sooner does he see him, than he says, what are you doing here? If anything, I need to be baptized by you, right? Uh, whereas in uh, John's gospel, uh, he, um, he, he explains, uh, John the Baptist says, uh, the only reason I came onto the public stage was to announce his coming. He's the elect of God, and I know that. Because the voice that told me to to uh, baptize said, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that's the chosen one. And he said, I did see the Spirit descend. Uh, in what uh, circumstance? Well, you, you would naturally infer that, uh, well, when he saw Jesus baptized, and, and, he, and John saw the descent of the dove, uh, it uh, it's not quite clear what John means, and I suspect it's purposely ambiguous. Uh, but um, it doesn't say he baptized Jesus because that was a scandal, quote unquote, a stumbling block. Um, and we know that the John the Baptist sect that believed John, not Jesus, was the Messiah, threw that in the face of Christians for a long time. In the pseudo Clementines, we have a. 
a scene where there's a big debate between the different factions of Jews and there are Christians there and Baptists and the Baptist sect said, Jesus isn't the Messiah. John was the Messiah. And how do we know that? Well, don't you admit that Jesus said of all men born of women, that's all of them, right? Uh, no exceptions. Um, nobody comes near uh, John the Baptist. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, in our Gospels, it goes on to say, and nonetheless, even though the uh, lowest uh, non-entity who's in the kingdom of God is still higher than John, well, that just has to be a a redactional addition to that saying to remove the sting, because otherwise, you know, uh, you got Jesus saying, well, John is the greatest man ever born, which would have to put him in the shadows. So, you know, Christians didn't like that, and in my view, they they, they added that thing. Um, and uh, um, so they're, um, well, yeah, and they also said, well, and who baptized who? Right? It seems to me it was Jesus who got baptized by John. Uh, and that, uh, that indicated, you know, who's the spirit, who's the guru here? Who's the spiritual master? It ain't Jesus. He goes to John. Uh, and, uh, um, this is of course why Matthew adds to Mark John's initial hesitations. He's, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You want me to baptize you? Look, if anything, uh, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus gives this again, equivocal answer. Uh, look, let's do it because it's, it's proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. That is to, to obey all the, uh, the, the commands of the righteous. So, it may be a charade, but it's, you know, we're doing it to be a good example, something like that. Well, that uh, has been added to fend off this other Baptist criticism. Uh, and it, I find these things, rather than being uh, uh, cases of the criterion of embarrassment that show, well, they couldn't get rid of this. They were so embarrassed by it, it must have happened, right? Otherwise, why all these headaches? Well, that that's a perfect example of what you mentioned before that I always say, that all that shows is that by the time of uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, Jesus being baptized had become a problem, whereas earlier in Mark, it had not been. Oh, Jesus showing up to a baptism of repentance? Why not? Keep in mind, Mark also has... Uh, Jesus recoiled at the praise of the rich young ruler. A good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus recoils and says, wait a minute. Why are you calling me good? Surely you know only God is good. Uh, So very humble and modest, right? Um, Well, uh, Mark saw nothing wrong with that. Uh, it doesn't mean Jesus was saying he was some sort of degenerate or some horrible sinner, right? He's just saying, hey, look, no flesh should boast in his presence. Uh, and uh, But uh, that wasn't a stumbling block for Mark, uh, but it was for the others. That just means Mark's view had become an embarrassment and in a later framework. Uh, and so I don't, I mean, it might mean more than that, but you don't really need any more than that to explain it very naturally, I think.
Well, third, Matthew's claim that Jesus' fame reached, quote, all over Syria, even though Jesus' journeys, uh, Jesus' journeys mostly in the southern Galilee. The one notable visit to, uh, with one notable visit to Phoenicia, you know, the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, well, this is a, the thing with the, where he's all over Syria. That's one of these generalizing summaries that sort of, uh, like a, a sweeping generalization based on, uh, the few items of tradition available to the evangelist uh, and they're they're sweeping because like when Jesus goes anywhere he's met by a throng of the sick and the demon possessed and uh he he heals them all effortlessly uh this is obviously a generalizing summary or like at the end of the gospel of john oh yeah jesus did loads more stuff than i've recorded here if i were to record every one of them the whole world couldn't contain the the vast library of gospels did he really have that many Jesus traditions or memories, whatever you want to say? Uh, well, no, obviously it's hyperbole. And these generalizing um, summaries uh, are really um, just that. They, he didn't have like, it's not like, you know, when uh, Donald Trump was inaugurated, he said this was the biggest inaugural crowd ever. And of course, the, the media and the Dems hated him. And so they said, oh, he's lying if you do a head count and so on. Look, I don't really care. Uh, and uh, it may be that Trump was just exaggerating, saying, wow, what a crowd. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but uh, it's the same. It's like some of these Old Testament stories where it says that uh, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with only his only weapon, a jawbone. Uh, what did they, they all line up to be bludgeoned to death one by one it, it it's just a kind of figure of speech uh, and uh, if this seems to me to be the same sort of thing they're just magnifying jesus fame thus creating one of the big arguments that mythicists use saying if this guy was this popular and this famous then all over the province of syria they were coming to be healed wouldn't we expect to hear something about him in contemporary historians and so forth? Well, you know, I, I would think so. Uh, and um, so the, uh, it seems to me this is uh, um, not, a, well, th there is a, uh, a point in what you're saying, but it's like the visits they record with scenes, his encountering the Syrophoenician woman and so on. That isn't enough to say that, oh, he was uh, journeying throughout Syria. Yeah, but he's just generalizing from a particular case. I don't think it's even really a, much of a contradiction. Okay. Um, uh, for the, the proclamation of Jesus in Matthew that he has not come to overturn the law, despite pretty much doing so everywhere else, but to fulfill it. Um, I uh, have to admit, I, I kind of agree with John Warwick Montgomery on this one, that Jesus is not shown uh, overturning or abolishing the law, though I think uh, the, well, don't, 
uh, don't go thinking that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I think that's secondary. But what do you actually see Jesus doing? Uh, it seems to be more of a question of debating the implications of the Torah. Uh, are you uh, like you're bound not to work on the Sabbath, but isn't that overruled by human need or, you know, what constitutes work? Is healing, even if you're not paid for it, considered uh, healing on uh, working on the Sabbath? Uh, apparently, Jesus critics think so, but he doesn't. Right. He says that uh, uh, there's a time and place for everything. He might as well be quoting Ecclesiastes. You don't have to fast all the darn time. And uh, I, so I don't think that he really has shown doing that. We tend to read Paulinism into the uh, into the Gospels. Um, uh, five, the, the amazement of the Nazareth crowd in Mark regarding how and where Jesus, the son of an artisan peasant, a peasant, got his wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures. Um, I'm not sure how that is, um, contradictory or, a supplantation uh, even of an earlier belief by a later one. Um, this is, by the way, a common thing with uh, with messianic prophets and so on, Joseph Smith, uh, Prophet Muhammad and others. They always note, hey, this guy wasn't really educated. Uh, therefore, the wisdom he dispensed must have been, like it's like flesh and blood has not revealed it to him, as he says to Peter, right? But but my father in heaven, it's a way of saying, well, it, it couldn't be that he taught, he was taught this, he wasn't taught. Uh, well, that's a, it's a Christological thing, like it's sort of... Uh, unwittingly admitting that, yeah, there's something more going on here. That's why he speaks with authority, not uh, parsing uh, things like the scribes do. Um, six, the confusion of Jesus with John the Baptist, who, according to Herod, was Jesus raised from the dead, as you've commented on. It implies the Baptist was the greater figure. Well, I don't see a problem there either, really. It's saying that uh, that John the Baptist followers heard of this guy who was doing miracles and said, uh, hey, maybe we don't have to give up hope. Maybe this is John the Baptist, newly empowered by his resurrection, something similar to what it says in Romans chapter 1 about Jesus, declared son of God with power, the same word, uh, dunamis. Um, uh, and uh, to be the, the son of God. It seems to me there's no real problem there. I mean, th- who would have said this? It seems to me it would be John the Baptist followers. And according to them, you know, John was the head honcho. And it wouldn't have implied for them any contrast to Jesus. I mean, who knows what they would have thought of Jesus. Uh, but uh, let's see, uh, seven, uh, uh, the suffering and despair of Jesus on the cross in Mark versus the fatalist triumphalism in Luke and John. I, I don't see uh, uh, the difficulty there, uh, partly because uh, um, what Jesus says uh, is is obviously a quote from the beginning of Psalm 22. 
Uh, and we may be intended to uh, understand that Jesus was chanting the whole thing, uh, that he was not giving up on God. That psalm begins, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Uh, and so on and so on. Well, if you read to the end of the psalm, he says, look, even now, in the eleventh hour, I know that you will uh, get me out of whatever the psalmist's problem was. And when you do, you, I'll be uh, in the temple having a banquet to celebrate this with your your believers. So it, it's not absolutely clear that Jesus is depicted as despairing. We usually think that. Um, and it might be so, but it's not clear that it is. However... Uh, the other, uh, well, Luke and John, as you say, apparently either thought that, that Jesus had given up hope, which is a little surprising that they would, or they figured, I'm not sure readers are going to get this. I don't want them to think Jesus had actually despaired of God. So let me find a different saying uh, that, that he could have said from Scripture. Uh, and uh, how about the uh, Psalm 63, is it, uh, quoted in Luke, uh, into thy hands I commit my spirit? Uh, well, that wouldn't even be a negation of an earlier belief. It would simply be, uh, I don't want this taken the wrong way. doesn't really reflect on whether there was a Jesus who died on the cross or not, really. Okay, uh, eight, the piercing of Jesus' side in John's gospel to show he really did die to defend against charges he had not been on the cross long enough, 12 hours being the minimum even if he had been flogged. Uh, yeah, I, I think what um, what you're saying is uh, an apologetics thing. They're... Uh, um, yeah, the the spear in the side and all that, right? That does seem. I mean, the, look at what he what the evangelist says. I he who saw this swears that it's true, uh, so that you may believe. Well, that implies you know, so that you may believe the right thing, as opposed to those uh, detractors that say he he didn't really die. He he survived it. Well, I think that is probably correct, and that that is an attempt to correct an an earlier or an alternative version of the uh, crucifixion where the fact that he dies so quickly is one shoe dropping and you're supposed to wait for the other one to fall, which it does when he's revived in the tomb. Uh, so the swoon theory, despite all the, the uh, nervous uh, snickering of apologists, there's nothing uh, inherently improbable about that theory. And some people obviously thought that uh, for John to, uh, or whoever, the evangelist, to have uh, bothered to do this. I'm not saying they were right, but I'm saying this would cert. you're actually giving an example of what I'm talking about, that um, the uh, the attempt of the evangelist to debunk a rival view about Jesus. Did he really die on the cross or not? That would be exactly what I, I'm talking about, right? That uh, he that he wants to, that a later faith 
is embarrassed or scandalized by an earlier or alternative one and seeks to debunk it. Uh, and those who said Jesus didn't die on the cross weren't critics necessarily. I mean, what would be the point of their denying it? I think it would have to be some people that held a view like that of the Muslims or the Gnostics or whatever. So one form of faith is embarrassing to those who don't hold it. And finally, the ninth, the detailed resurrection appearances in John compared with the very limited accounts of them in Mark and Matthew. Well, uh, you see, we got a real problem here, too, because uh, it does seem that there are dis- differences that imply one evangelist is supplanting the work of another. Why is it that Jesus appears only, well, that he doesn't appear at all in Mark, right? He plans to, but the women don't convey his message. So there seem to be no resurrection appearances there. Oh, but he must, they must have told him, hey, look, you can write your own ending of the gospel uh, to, to make it sound more like you wish it had read. But in Mark, uh, they do not tell them that's it. So they can't have met Jesus in Galilee. But in uh, Matthew and in the Johannine Appendix, chapter 21, they do meet him in Galilee. But in Luke, uh, he, he never goes to Galilee, and uh, Luke even changes the prediction of Jesus so that he doesn't say, after I am raised, I'll meet you in Galilee. Rather, he, he, they say, remember how when he was, uh, uh, oh, what's the wording, I'm forgetting it, uh, the, how he said, uh, that uh, he would be, uh, he would, he would meet you afterward. He's changed the wording, uh, and Jesus never goes there. The farthest he goes is uh, to Emmaus, uh, and uh, uh, a few hours walk, but he never gets to Galilee at all. Why? Uh, well, here, like Mark left him in the lurch. Uh, the it just stops abruptly for whatever reason, and the other uh, evangelists like some early copyists of Mark, decided, wait a minute, it can't have ended here. i got to give it a better ending. And so they all did, but they all, they're all contradictory because uh, they no longer have a common Grundschrift, a common uh, foundation to work from. So it seems to me that uh, that militates against any of them being uh, historically accurate. Uh, because all of them presuppose that the evangelists are are uh, disregarding Mark's ending, right? All of them have the disciples getting the message, but according to Mark, they didn't. So if Mark is correct, None of the other apparent, none of the apparent stories can be more than, you know, later speculation. Uh, and, uh, so I don't really see a problem with any of this, partly because some of these things are not really problematical. Uh, and, uh, the more is made of them, like Bethlehem or Nazareth. Um, and, uh, the problem is a contradiction between the way Matthew and Luke try to connect the dots, but it it doesn't militate against the, the 
historical Jesus existing. And some of these others really are very well explained, I think, by this idea that an earlier form of faith has now become embarrassing. Uh, and it's sort of like the, if you're reading the new revised standard version or the new version of the uh, New English Bible or, or various other ones, you notice that they've made them, uh, they've changed the wording to be inclusive to my brothers uh, and sisters in Corinth. You ever see the life of Brian by Monty Python, uh, the People's Front of Judea is working up their manifesto. And it says, it's the right of every man. And then uh, uh, Stan says, uh, and woman. And says, uh, okay, uh, and woman to so-and-so, so-and-so. And then they get to man again. Says, or woman. Stan, why are you always on about women? Because uh, I want to be one. Remember that scene? Uh, it's like... For, for Stan, or Loretta, as he prefers to be called, uh, the, uh, the original text is too androcentric or chauvinistic or whatever, uh, so he has to change it to make it less offensive to readers like him. And in fact, that is what happened uh, in, in these cases, though the, that's a silly example. Well, maybe not so silly, since that's what ha- is happening with these inclusive language ones. Well, I'm already getting um, a tired voice, so I'm going to leave it at that, and I'll see you next time for yet more exciting and mind-bending questions on the Bible Geek. On the highway.